Welcome to Idle Chatter, brought to you by the Machinery Digest, where steel and soil meet. A weekly podcast by a New Jersey farmer to all farmers and ranchers across this great nation. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey. Regardless of the crop you grow or the livestock you raise, we all have one thing in common. Agriculture runs on passion, sweat, tears, and machinery, and that is why the Machinery Digest exists, a no-nonsense, grease-under-your-fingernails educational website. It was created to provide a transfer of knowledge so that you can maintain, service, and most importantly, understand today's complex farm equipment. My name is Ray Bohax, and I farm too. It is time now to get under the sheet metal. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Idle Chatter from the Farm Machinery Digest. I'm Ray Bohax, your humble host, coming to you from Catswamp Road in Warren County, New Jersey. It is a rainy day again uh, today, but autumn has finally come and it's uh, quite chilly. It's around 41, 42 degrees the last time I looked at the thermometer. And I looked at the rain gauge before I came to record this podcast, and I wanted to give you an update. So far, since January 1st, we have received 52.7 inches of rain on our farm. And I know that there's lots of places in the country of people farm and ranch that are listening to this podcast and that's for many of them that's uh, sadly two years worth of moisture but you know what's really interesting is that even though we had this amount of rain you know it often doesn't come when you want it to come and uh, as an aside the normal amount of rainfall for Warren County for our farmers around 48 49 inches for the year so we're about four inches above normal so far, and today is November 6th, Election Day. So hopefully that everyone voted or plans on voting. I'm going to go vote right after I record this podcast. So And and hopefully the lines are big, long, where it uh, means that a lot of people are voting. But anyway, you know, this past crop year, as I've said before in this podcast, like so many places in the country that the... You know, we had so much stress on, on our sweet corn when we were, you know, during the growing season because uh, we had a damp spring. And then once the corn came up, we had a, you know, very hot and dry weather for almost a month, and then the rain came. So it's been all over the map. And uh, but at this particular point, we're at 52.7 inches, and uh, we may eclipse 60 by January 1st. But who knows? But listen, I wanted to also tell you uh, that the latest issue, the November issue of Ag Now magazine, which is part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network, which is a great network that hosts podcasts and vlogs, which is something new to me. I guess that's a video blog. Uh, they have their magazine and Ag Now, and the November issue is out. And I ask you to all go and check it out. It is a wonderful publication, and it's probably uh, one of the best, or if not the best, online agricultural resources as far as magazine is concerned. It's a flip page magazine, which is really neat. And uh, specifically, if you go to page 13, 
there's an excellent article about whether to uh, till or no till but um on, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't say it's on page 13 the picture i'm referencing is on page 13 and there's a, a root pit dug on this farm and there's this field day there and the people are all looking in the root pit and there's someone in the root pit talking and if you look down to the bottom that there's a uh, a hen standing there and looking down into the root pit and listening with uh, everybody else so i'm sure it's her farm and she wanted to know what was going on and i have a hen that is like that and uh she's a uh, uh what did I, not a uh rhode island red i forgot what they call her but anyway uh she looks just like that one and i call her the inspector because she has to look at everything i can't get nothing gets past her nothing gets past her. it looks like this like she has a cousin over in michigan so check that out in the ag now magazine and also on page 24 of that issue the november issue of ag now you just do a uh, search, a Google search for Ag Now, and it'll bring you right to the uh, the digital flip page magazine. Is that they have my uh, toolbox testers in there? So every month, God willing, moving forward, there will be a toolbox test. And I know from our analytics that there's a lot of people clicking on and going to the toolbox test on my website, farmmachinerydigest.com, but they are not submitting their results. So I'm really excited about the AgNow publication, uh, putting my toolbox test in because you were able to take the test without submitting the results and get the answers there. So that's uh, quite good. And as I've said before, don't be afraid to take the test and submit the results. All I, and that's when you get the proper answers back. But in the AgNow publication, you'll get the proper answers by turning to a, uh, a different page. I forgot what page it's on. So check that out. And, you know, my thing is, if you have not gleaned this by now, that my sincere desire is to is to help prosper American agriculture. And I've said this before many times, but I just feel it's necessary for me to say it again, is that, you know, success on the farm or ranch is a three-legged stool it's your uh, agronomy or animal husbandry decisions it's your marketing plan and also what you do with your machinery and what the machinery costs are on the farm and i cannot help you with the first two but i could certainly help you with the uh with the last one the machinery side of it and you know this test i make the test up simply because i want it to be a learning tool like anything else like everything else that i have it's not to embarrass you so or so if you don't want to send that in that's fine just look at the test in the ag now publication but it's meant for you to learn because the real test in life is what happens day to day on your farm or ranch not what happens on a piece of paper or on a computer screen so i really just want you to uh to be able to learn and that is why that test is there because you have to remember in life you know people think that a test uh when you're in school or what have you is to prove to the teacher what you know or don't know and that is true to a certain extent if you want to graduate and go to the next grade level or get a diploma but it's really meant the test is to test so that you could learn and you could see what you don't know or what you're lacking and that is why i created that test the way i did and you know and scripturally the bible tells us that god tests us god doesn't need to he knows what, what we're going to get right or wrong it's that god tests us to prove our faith or what we need to correct to ourselves not to him 
So please look at that test and in the Ag Now magazine, take it and use it as a learning tool. You know, on that same theme, before I get into today's message, uh, which is about uh, antifreeze, about coolant, wanted to get into that. We're getting into the cooler weather is that, uh, and I think there's a lot of confusion, not I think, I know that there's a lot of confusion today about coolant. And as a matter of fact, on November 1st, the, uh, the, the new season of the Successful Farming Show on RFD-TV aired, and I have a segment on there about coolant. So if you want to choose to look that up, you could uh, look it up on agriculture.com's website, or I believe on RFD or a number of other places. Um, but I only have 3 minutes and 20 seconds on the TV show to talk about coolant, and on my podcast I have a lot more time. So I want to give you whatever farm, what every farmer needs to know about coolant today. And I think that you'll find it interesting and enlightening. It's not going to be a chemistry lesson. It's going to be practical. Everything that I try to do is is I want it to have a practical application for the farmer or rancher. You know, but to get back to the testing and the whole premise of you know what I'm trying to do here, and you know, please, this is not about me. It's about it's about you. It's about the American farmer rancher. Is that one of my favorite movies? Is October Sky, and if you've never seen that, you should really watch it. And uh, and it's it's a true story about Homer Hickman, and he's a young boy who grew up in coal mining country of West Virginia, and became enamored with rockets and space travel uh, from this the Sputnik uh, spaceship that went up in the early 60s and that was the impetus for him to build rockets and uh, as a as a boy and get involved with understanding things and rocketry and science and mathematics and his father was against that it was a small town and he felt that his son's fate was to be in this coal mine and you know there's nothing wrong with that obviously but this boy had dreams and he applied it and uh, just a great great movie but it's the reason why i'm telling you about it it's that it's an inspirational movie and probably during that era and since it's a true story during that era in the 1960s that part of west virginia was probably if not the poorest part of our great land our country but or one of the poorest areas and because he had drive, Homer Hickman had drive, determination, and passion for what he wanted to do, is that he was able to succeed. And it's important. It's a tearjerker, so you know, keep the tissue box nearby. I'm not afraid to tell you that. You know, real men do cry. And uh, but you need to watch all the way to the end because you need to see what they made of their lives. And I think that it's really important because so many times you may have a younger person in your own family or in town or in church and they feel that they live in a remote rural area and that they don't have much opportunity and they don't have much chance to do different things in life. And naturally, you know, I'm hoping that they choose to stay on the farm, but going away from the farm and getting an education and bringing that back is 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 certainly a wonderful plan. And if they choose not to come back to the farm and live their life elsewhere, they would become a very productive part of society, and uh, that's really what it counts. So you know, everybody can't live on a farm. Uh, if they did, it would be a city. So I'm grateful for the people who choose to live in the city because or the suburbs because then everybody, then the farm would no longer be the farm if there were 100 million people living on it. 
So check out October Sky if you never watched it. It's a great inspirational movie, and it, I think that every high school should show it as part of their uh, curriculum during the year. But All right, so that's basically that, and I want to start to talk about antifreeze coolant. And throughout this podcast, I'm going to use the term antifreeze and coolant uh, interchangeably. But really, we're going to be talking about the, the proper the proper name within the industry is coolant. Uh, the slang or the uh, colloquial is antifreeze, so it's actually coolant that does not freeze. So I will so I will take editorial license with this poetic license and go back and forth and use those terms uh, interchangeably during this discussion. You know, and there's a. Uh, There is so much confusion about coolant over the past 10 or 12 years, maybe 15 years, because years ago we had one type of antifreeze coolant. There may have been different brands, but we had ethylene glycol EG-based coolant, and we mixed it 50-50 with water, and it was a bright green color, and or close to a bright green color depending upon the dye that was used and and just keep in mind that that is just a dye so if you bought Prestone it may have been one color green if you bought Xerox it may have been another color green or Fleet Guard or something else but that was just a dye but it was called traditional green antifreeze and the purpose of that was twofold number one it was actually threefold I should say it was two not allow the engine block to freeze in the cold weather which was obvious it was to raise the boiling point of the coolant above what water is and the third aspect of it was to to limit corrosion inside the engine because water obviously and and metal and steel when they interact and have some level of oxygen they corrode they cause corrosion so that was the purpose of it and it was alcohol based it was an ethylene glycol based product and once you get into the chemistries of alcohol there are many 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 different ethylene glycols that fall into that family and we're not even we're not going to go there because i'm really not that well versed on it even though i wrote a book on cooling systems and um we don't need to know that so we knew that traditional antifreeze was green colored antifreeze and when you bought different brands you were basically buying their additive package but the SAE Society of Automotive Engineers had a standard additive package that most products were required to have to get their seal of approval and then what happened about 10 or 15 years ago things started to change and they used and they the industry came out with different color antifreezes and the reason why they are different colors is that they choose the industry decided to color the antifreeze to determine what identify is the proper term to identify the chemical composition of that product so today we have traditional green antifreeze we have yellow or gold antifreeze we have red antifreeze and I believe that there is another uh, that the orange orange antifreeze so we have all different colors and the industry color-coded the product they color coded the product so that you would be able to identify its chemical composition and then uh, the manufacturer could state for instance I have Ford's and my Ford's uh, 
use what is called an orange antifreeze. It actually looks pink when you look at the uh, at the expansion tank, but they call it orange. It's an orange antifreeze. And then you may have another car that uses a uh, red antifreeze, which is uh, based upon the GM Dex call technology. So the thing is that the manufacturer of your equipment, whether it be your car, your pickup truck, your farm equipment, will identify the color of antifreeze that they want you to use. So now this probably begs the question, why did they change this? You know, uh, you know the funny part about it is the older I get, when I was young, I loved change. I think change was exciting. It was, you know, we were in college and, uh, you know, I studied electrical engineering, so there were not a lot of girls. There was actually no girls. But, you know, if you went to your elective classes like English or uh, history or computers, I forgot what the other electives were, and I think there was, you know, those those classes had girls in it so we used to be all excited you know to see what girls were going to be in the class you know every new semester and so I, I loved change uh, when I was young when I think most young people do they get bored with things and as I get older I just reject change so I like things to be the way they are don't give me change but anyway the world changes right everything changes so so as I said this begs the question why did the manufacturers change this and why did they come out with all these different color products to enter to identify different chemical compositions? Well, it has to go back to the engineering. Back years ago, if you looked at engines, and I don't care whether they were gasoline or diesel, they basically all used a green, uh, for the most part, used a green-based antifreeze. If it was a diesel, it had some additional additives in it for cavitation erosion and some other things, but they were basically the same ethylene glycol base component. And those engines back then were very, very similar in the materials they used. They were usually ca they were cast iron blocks, cast iron cylinder heads, and some sort of, of steel or metal-based head gasket. Uh, the gasket materials used for the intake manifold, if it had water going through it or coolant going through it or anything else, were uh, predominantly the same. There were some variations, but they were in the same family of materials. And then what has happened is that as as the industry moved forward and engine technology moved forward, there was a lot of new materials introduced to the engines. So no longer was the engineer confined to using the materials of the older days. So for instance, Case IH, and I'm just making this up as I go along, Case IH when they design their engine, let's say for a, a sprayer or for a combine, they may come and their engineer may say that to achieve the results that I want, I need to use a head gasket with this material in it. And then you may go to Ford Motor Company and they're designing a, an Echo Boost engine for a pickup truck. And they say, and the engineer says, to achieve the results I want with this turbocharger, this liquid cooled turbocharger, I need to have this material seal. And then you went to, to John Deere, and John Deere's engineer said, well, for, for, for us to be able to, to uh, make this passage what we want it to be in the cylinder head, I need a coolant that is going to, to, that is going to release very easily and have a viscosity that's going to be able to be pumped through this steam hole in the cylinder head. So what, so what happened was that it was impossible to take the one chemical composition 
and make everything work. It would have been a compromise. So all of those engineers during their development process would say, man, you know, I really wanted to accomplish this, but the company is forcing me to use traditional green antifreeze, and it's not going to allow me to use the head gasket I want, or make the passage in the cylinder head the way I want, or the steel in the turbocharger, or what have you. So, what was realized is that they were, that technology or the advancement in engines was being stymied by being forced to use one type of antifreeze coolant chemical composition. So the reason for all of these different chemical compositions today are so that they are not antagonistic or have any issues with the materials and the design of that engine. Now any coolant will transfer or any liquid will transfer heat. But what has to happen is that you have to look at the materials that that coolant is going to come in contact with. And then that that the it can't come in contact with anything that is going to antagonize or attack that uh, part in the engine. So there was different chemical compositions that came about. So now what we want to do is back up for a second and what I want to back up for a second for is that I need to explain to you how an engine is cooled and most people have a misunderstanding with how an engine is cooled they think that the radiator cools the engine the radiator does not cool the engine it is the liquids job to cool the engine and it is the radiators job to remove heat from the liquid and to prove this point is that if anyone has a boat that uses seawater or lake water with fresh water cooling that there is no radiator in that particular instance so it is the it is the radiators job to cool the liquid and the liquids job to remove heat from the engine now the hardest part of the engine to cool be it gasoline or diesel is the cylinder head because that is where combustion takes place so around the combustion chamber the water passages around the combustion chamber and specifically the exhaust valve are the hardest parts to cool because they are going to have the highest temperature gradient and within engineering we use the term thermal excursion and that's the how hot that part gets before it starts to cool back down again so it's an excursion it's a trip to a higher temperature and then after combustion the temperature starts to starts to lower so the job of the coolant is to remove heat from the engine and if you think of a coolant a coolant is meant to be like a sponge just like if you were to spill something on the counter you would take a sponge and the sponge would wick it in so the whole idea is that the coolant needs to wick in the heat from first and foremost the cylinder head and then obviously from the rest of the engine block and if and other ancillary areas if it was something like a water-cooled turbocharger or what have you so that is uh, the job of the coolant now the coolant needs to be able to do this and it also needs to be able to flow through these different parts of the engine and another aspect of a coolant that people don't recognize and they only recognize it because they haven't been told about it but that's going to end right now is that is what is called people confuse viscosity 
with the coolant's ability to release in the cylinder head. And what's going to happen is that when you are running an engine, and if you're running an engine hard, so let's say that you're pulling a trailer up a long hill, or you're pulling a uh, chisel plow, or you're pulling a real heavy planter, and you're really working that engine, the way the heat is transferred from the cylinder head is through something called nucleate boiling. And this, the actually the coolant will boil in the cylinder head around the exhaust valve and around the combustion chamber. And that boiling uh, regiment, where it goes, where it comes from a liquid, gets in contact and boils, and then moves away from the cylinder head. Is what I should say, right from the cylinder head, away from that that spot. Uh, and recondenses is what actually removes the heat. Without that boiling and recondensing scenario, you will not be able to remove the heat from the casting. And the higher the boiling point of the liquid, the better sponge it becomes. The more heat it could absorb before it becomes a, a vapor. Now, this is not to be be confused with boil over where coolant is is spitting out of the radiator boil over means that the radiator that the coolant got so hot that the radiator cannot lower its temperature and it's going through a phase change from a liquid to a gas that's to a vapor and that's why it's boiling and sp and, and spitting out of the radiator but you when you're driving your car or you're driving your truck and you're pulling a hill Excuse me. When you when you're pulling a hill, and that engine is making power, that coolant actually starts to boil in the cylinder. You don't see that on the temperature gauge, and that is why a lot of larger commercial style engines, big diesels, and farm equipment, industrial equipment, actually have a cylinder head temperature gauge so you could watch that. Because where you're measuring the liquid temperature for the normal temperature gauge is far away from that site. But the critical aspect of the coolant is that it has to be able to release from that nucleate boiling site in the cylinder head, that it doesn't get stuck there. And people confuse that with viscosity. It's not viscosity. The term is surface tension or surface friction, you want to say, but it's really surface tension. And it's registered in a metric in a scale called Dynes, D-Y-N-E-S, per centimeter. Now, water has a very high surface tension. It is not very easy to release. Ethylene glycols have a much better surface temperature. You could say that they're slipperier. If you put water between your two fingers and move your fingers back and forth, then uh, you, it's got a certain amount of surface tension. And if you move, take antifreeze and put it in your fingers, it has less surface tension. Your fingers move easier. It's very imperative that that coolant, after it goes through the boiling regimen, the nucleate boiling in the cylinder head when an engine is under load, to be able to release easily and then recondense to a liquid and allow fresh coolant to come there. And that surface tension is part of the specifications of the different color antifreezes, the different color coolants. Because you may have a manufacturer that has a water jacket in the cylinder head around the combustion chamber and the exhaust valve and they and the engineer says, I want to split this water into a Y because it's a four valve head and I want half the water to go around the, the, these two valves and the half of it to go around the other the other valves. 
and then to make that uh that passageway they may say well i need a a coolant that is going to release very easily have a very low surface tension so that is one of the elements so not so that is a design a chemical design of the coolant and then what basically happens is that the different chemical compositions will not only be able to not be antagonistic to different materials in the engine but they may be have a different surface tension to release so without getting over complicating this let's make sense of this and what you need to know as a farmer and i'm going to hit on some bullet points first and foremost is that don't try to re-engineer what the manufacturer said if your if your piece of equipment if your engine needs a certain color coolant that that's what you have to use case closed i don't care whether you got 20 gallons of green coolant sitting in the, in the corner of the workbench over there is that if it's supposed to take a red a dex cool coolant if it's supposed to take a, a orange coolant or a yellow coolant or a, a, a gold coolant whatever just use that don't overcomplicate it because it is just like mixing products in your sprayer you don't want to have that antagonistic result and if you have something in if you if you have that antagonistic result and it eats the head gasket or eats the seal in a turbocharger and you hydro lock this motor you're talking a thirty forty thousand dollar diesel engine in a big piece of farm equipment or at least a twenty five thousand dollar diesel engine and my contention to you is how many bushels of crop is that because you wanted to save whatever fifty dollars on coolant okay so that's the let's we'll start there also is that you cannot mix colors of coolant and you cannot mix a green with a yellow or with a red or what have you is that you cannot mix them yes can you physically pour that in of course no one's going to stop you but you'll you can you could very easily create a situation that is going to that is either going to cause a sludge in the cooling system and or it is going to uh to eat something in that that comes in contact with that coolant so do not do not do that alrighty the next thing is that I wanted to talk about is that and this stands for, this this holds true for any engine that's liquid cooled is that coolant wears out and if you recall a few minutes ago I spoke about that heating that boiling and recondensing cycle of the coolant in the cylinder head and this goes on I mean you could be driving to church with you know, with your family in a minivan and you go to pass somebody and you whack that throttle to the floor and now that engine's making its full horsepower then you know horsepower is heat because an engine is a heat engine so you're putting more heat into that coolant and that coolant is boiling in that cylinder as it's supposed to be to 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 remove the heat from the casting but that boiling and cooling boiling and recondensing is probably the most accurate for me accurate way for me to say it actually consumes the additive package in the coolant and now what is the additive package the ethylene glycol or the propylene glycol depending upon what type of coolant is the glycol is what gives the product its ability to not freeze so it makes it so it makes it freeze proof all right all of the other 
products or additives that they put into the man that the coolant manufacturer puts in to it the additive package is what gives it its anti-corrosion ability its seal conditioner a whole bunch of other things so you're not running so antifreeze is not straight ethylene glycol it has a whole bunch of additives in it and the manufacturer specific additives are what makes that coolant for that particular engine so and i don't care whether it's a 1965 ford pickup truck that uses green antifreeze or a 2019 john deere you know s670 combine is that that boiling and recondensing that happens in the cylinder head is what actually consumes the additive package and the most important thing for you to take away from this talk is that you checking the freeze point has nothing to do with the concentration of the additives that are left in the in that coolant now on a diesel engine what you would do is you would use coolant test strips on a smaller gasoline engine you would not do that you would actually just change the coolant and the reason for that being is that the diesel engine in large equipment uses so much coolant that they have what is called SCA we're all familiar with supplemental coolant additives so you'd put a test strip in there and say okay we need nitrates or what have you and then you would put this additive package in there on a smaller engine it's just more efficient to change the coolant so keep in mind that the freeze point has nothing to do with the strength of the additive package and once that additive package becomes depleted then that is where that engine actually starts to fail if you have an engine gasoline or diesel and it and it had a head gasket failure 99% of the head gasket failures all right are from depleted coolant that the additive package was depleted the coolant looked beautiful its freeze point was fine 40 below zero but the additive package was depleted and it ate the head gasket so when you have depleted coolant in any engine you are going to expose the head gasket to an exponential amount of degradation along with the radiator core the heater core and anything else that comes in contact with that coolant but specifically the head gasket and the radiator and the heater core are the ones that pay the price first and and are the most costly for you to replace if i see if somebody says to me that i have an engine and it, it, the head gasket is shot there's 9.9 chances out of 10 that they never change the coolant and the additive package was depleted they would go to the service place with a car or they would, the guy would look oh mrs jones your antifreeze is beautiful it's down to 34 below zero and uh which is basically the chemical freeze point of ethylene glycol and water 50 50 there's 34 below zero but anyway and they would think that the guy was so honest that you know they love him always he's a great, he's a great mechanic he's not selling me an antifreeze change i'm still down to 34 below zero and no and the reason why most places don't sell the consumer an antifreeze change is because it's a pain in the neck on today's engines to change the coolant and it's very un it's not profitable for them to spend two hours jerking around draining and refilling a cooling system and bleeding the air out so they unless the coolant looks terrible or the freeze point is diminished and the only way you're going to diminish the freeze point on an alcohol-based product is to add a lot of water to it 
but that so if and on a diesel engine once you dissipate those additives then you're opening that engine up to have uh, cylinder line a cavitation erosion where the bubbles will actually eat away the cylinder liner and mix the coolant with the oil and that motor basically is junk now I will put a caveat on that and the caveat is that if you cook the engine let's say the thermostat stuck then you will obviously have a very good chance of hurting the head gasket you're not actually hurting the head gasket you're actually hurting the cylinder head and warping the cylinder head and then this then the, the clamping force on the gasket is not even and then the gasket blows so if you so if you cook an engine be the thermostat stuck and you ran it or you ran over something or popped a hole in the radiator or blew a hose and you kept running it then you'll hurt the head head gasket but and the other way that you can hurt a head gasket with a turbocharged engine be it gasoline or diesel is to over boost it because then what will happen is that the boost pressure in the cylinder will actually move the cylinder head around and then once it moves the cylinder head around a little bit and it's under combustion then you will flame cut the gasket the the combustion flame will actually cut a little little uh a little uh, canyon or cavern I should say into the gasket and eventually the gasket will blow but if you didn't cook it and you didn't over boost it and it needs a head gasket it's because you did not you were not good about changing the coolant case closed so so that's very very important so recap the coolant becomes consumed by the boiling process in the cylinder head it uses up the additives it does not impact the uh does not impact impact the freeze point and but it it use consumes the additive packages what i'm trying to what i'm trying to say now the other thing is that the freeze point is not an indicator of the additives a test strip will tell you what additives need to be consumed or not more consumed and need to be replaced but there's a couple of other things that i want to talk about now you know, I so many people buy equipment on um, at auction, and uh, I would, and I'm not saying that I'm against that by no means. But if I was to buy something, or if I have my own equipment, what I like to do is do a coolant analysis, and basically, engine any lab or almost any lab that does oil analysis will also do a coolant analysis and it's very important that you start to do this on your equipment and specifically if you're buying something that's pre-owned like politically correct we don't say used anymore it's pre-owned so it sounds better right so uh and why should you do a coolant analysis is because the coolant analysis like a soil test or a tissue test will reveal what the eye cannot see and now there is a caveat that obviously the coolant has to be in that engine for some time and have some hours of use to have a valid test but the good thing is that most people don't change the coolant before they're trying to sell a piece of equipment especially on a larger piece of equipment because it's quite costly because of the volume of coolant it takes they may put a supplemental coolant additive in it but they don't change the coolant so if you take a sample and send it to a lab it's basically going to tell you what is happening with the, the condition of that coolant and also any degradation from the head gasket or other metals or other materials i should say in that in that coolant and also is that if they'll give you an uh, an, an elemental analysis and if that analysis comes up and shows a lot of iron 
in that coolant, then that engine was starting to experience cylinder diesel engine, cylinder line of cavitation erosion. And even though it didn't pop a hole yet into the cylinder liner, it's starting to really pockmark it and pick and, and, and pick at it and make little 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 pin pinhole little dents in, in that cylinder liner. And then and that's obviously uh, from the water jacket out to the bore to the uh, to the compression combustion side and it's starting to pick away at that so that's very important for you to know so even though you could go with a hydrometer or a refractometer and check the and check the freeze point which is good that's good in farm shop maintenance procedures to look at that but keep in mind also that most of those items are calibrated whether it's a refractometer or a hydrometer to a to a liquid temperature about 68 to 70 degrees so if the coolant is much colder than that or much hotter than that it's going to skew that reading a little bit but the most accurate way is to do a coolant analysis and you should really do this on your own equipment even if you're not buying a piece of equipment but you know i i it it's i'm it just confuses confuses me and dumbfounds me that you know I watch these auctions you know on TV I watch you know Dave Mowitz and Successful Farming go to these auctions then you know a guy's buying a two hundred thousand dollar tractor and he didn't pull an oil sample on it a, a hydraulic oil sample engine oil sample and a coolant sample and he's bidding a quarter of a million dollars for it and you know as I've said before in this podcast coming from the machinery world coming from from that you'll be surprised what people could do with equipment in in a couple of hundred hours or a thousand hours I mean they could they could I mean forget about it I mean that's a podcast onto itself but also with your own equipment do a coolant analysis once a year and do a coolant analysis and the most important thing for you to think of is that you know we're getting into the winter now and that's why I chose to do this we're getting into the winter and you know, you're worried about freeze protection, and and rightfully so. You could check that with a hydrometer refractometer, but really, you have to be concerned. You know, and so many guys will go through harvest, and they'll run the heck out of this combine, and they'll go through harvest, right? Or the, or a tractor. They'll be, let, let me use a tractor because because it's used all year round, and they'll go into you know into uh, whether they're doing some tillage in the spring, planting, what have you. They're working this tractor basically all summer and they have old coolant in it and then it comes for the winter when the tractor is sitting and they change the coolant because oh we got to check change the coolant you really need to change that coolant you need before it's really going to work because that boiling cycle in the cylinder head is what's going to consume the additive and totally leave that engine unprotected it's just like you know having a pre-emergence weed killer i mean i'm always amazed how in my sweet corn that you know 40 days out well i shouldn't say 40 days out uh you know, when I get near the end of harvesting my sweet corn, so yeah, it's probably 40 or 50 days, well, it's 92 day corn, so maybe 60 days, 70 days out, and that, because uh, sweet corn doesn't have that much canopy, is that, and that pre-emerge starts to wear off, and how those weeds are just ready to pop up, you know what I'm saying? And the same thing happens. So what you need to really do is you need to renew this coolant or put the supplemental coolant additives in before that engine is going to go through its hardest work cycle because you want that protection there just like you want that pre-emergence weed killer to be there to keep those weeds at bay so that crop can get established you know you working the you know you working the engine all summer long or year long and then going and changing the coolant before you put it to bed for the winter that's good because you're taking you know taking the uh the uh the 
you're renewing the anti-corrosion inhibitors but it was really important to have that when that when that engine was working so you need to check your coolant and you need to be concerned with having fresh coolant or properly additized coolant when that engine is going to be working the hardest and in and getting back to that boiling cycle that is why engines that are run hard even if they don't spit out any coolant because the coolant is 50% water and 50% glycol is that that boiling cycle ends up evaporating out some of the water from that 50-50 mix and that is why the engine will consume coolant it'll consume coolant when it's worked very hard due to that nucleate boiling regiment where it's going to boil and recondense and it gives up some of that water and that is why that ratio lots of times changes and that's why when you work an engine hard that you're going to be able you're going to have to maintain the cooling level because it's going to consume some without leaking so let's bring closure to this and recap this whole thing all right let's make it let's make it farmer farmer common sense here the color of the coolant, stick whatever the manufacturer tells you and give it no more thought. It has to do with the chemical composition and how it's going to interact with the parts of that engine, the gaskets, the castings, what have you, and also with surface tension, dynes, D-Y-N-E-S per centimeter. In case you ever go on Jeopardy and they ask you, you know, about surface tension, you say, Alex, you know, what is dynes per centimeter? All right, so the coolant has to interact with the materials the coolant actually boils in the cylinder head and that boiling process and the more load you have on the engine the more intense that boiling process is and that is what removes heat from the casting the boiling and recondensing and that is what consumes the additive package on a large diesel engine that has a lot of coolant in it you're going to have to add a supplemental coolant additive uh, to it to replenish those additives that are consumed through that boiling regimen right on a smaller engine you would just change the coolant and put new coolant in it doesn't pay for you to do that because of the volume is so small remember the freeze point is not an indicator at all of how healthy that coolant is all right and then the best thing that you need to do is you need to be able to take a coolant sample on that at least once could do that once a year and send it out to a laboratory and you know as an aside to this if you want to trade in a piece of equipment or sell it i mean you know how impressive that is to give somebody a book or a notebook with here all the lab tests for the engine oil for the hydraulic oil for the coolant and that is the precursor to telling you what some what is about to fail or what's starting to go wrong so you need to do that and remember if you if an engine gasoline or diesel ate a head gasket or a radiator core went bad and you didn't pop a hole in it and uh, or uh, a heater core there's 9.999 chances out of 100 that it went bad because of you did not change the coolant and it actually ate those components and you know get back to different color coolants you know certain radiators have certain solder in them and if you put the wrong color coolant and it actually eats away at the solder so you know, gets back to the same thing as that the coolant wears out stick with the color that you that you need to stick with or uh, that the manufacturer says do not mix them do a coolant analysis once a year and forget about it that's it and you'll have a cooling system i have a little ford escort has 450,000 miles on it 
has the original radiator, original heater core, original head gasket, original everything, and all I did was use Ford coolant in it and change it every three years, and that was basically it. So, uh, so you know, try you know, try not to be penny wise and and dollar foolish. So uh, enough said. But uh, you know, winter is coming. It's a time when you think coolant, and if you know if you renew the coolant now, then you're good for the summer season, the spring season when it works, when the engine works. So that's all fine. But understand that coolant does does uh, wear out, and the color may be beautiful. Color is not an, in, an indication of the health or the strength of the coolant. It's like like a crop. Once you start to see a nutrient deficiency on a crop from 50 miles an hour down the road, you know it's really bad. Once you start to see the color of the coolant really get get dark or hazy, then that is is really really bad and you need to get that out of that engine and I would also do a coolant analysis at that particular point again also to see how many parts per million of different materials are in, are in there so you don't need to be a chemist you just need to be proactive with the engine coolant so now we're going to go into our special delivery section and I just I am proud to tell you that special delivery is brought to you by Firestone Ag they are a company founded by Harvey Firestone, a fourth-generation farmer from Columbiana, Ohio. Harvey dreamed of putting rubber tires on farm tractors, and his innovative mindset is the core of Firestone Ag today, and lives on with their 23-degree tread bar and AD2 technology. The soil is the lifeblood of your farm, trusted only to Firestone. So, hey, if you guys get a chance and you're on my website, click on that Firestone tab and it'll bring you, and they have a lot of great information there uh, about their tires, but about tires in general. And it's just really a, uh, a good thing to, uh, to learn, to be an educated consumer. So, I have, I'm only going to do one letter today because uh, I'm running along as usual. And this is from Fred in Tennessee. And he writes, Hello. I hope you do not mind the question about small engines. I have a steel BG55 handheld gas blower that is about seven years old. It always ran great, and I keep it on the combine during harvest to keep everything clean. That's actually quite quite a good idea. And the rest of the year, I use it in the shop so it runs all 12 months. A few weeks ago, it started bogging when I gave it the throttle, but would idle and start fine. It degraded to where it will only idle and now it won't even run. I know these small carburetors have problems, but I kept the machine well maintained. I bought another one, but would like to fix this one. Any help would be appreciated, and thanks for the website and podcast. I never knew I never knew that I knew so little. Well, thank you, Fred, but I don't think that you know so little. It's just that you know things that, that I don't know and the next guy doesn't know. But I thank you so much for your letter. Uh, and you know, I have the same handheld blower BG55, so I'm quite familiar with that machine. Great little, great little blower. I use it all the time. Blow off the tractor and what have you, and also around the house. Uh, the thing, the thing, basically with with small engines like that, I am going to do a podcast a, a couple of weeks out about uh, small engines, big problems. Is that uh, you know people attack the carburetors, and it's possible that you have a carburetor problem. But usually what happens with that scenario and why I think you don't have a carburetor problem is because it idles and starts well. And I mean, it could, you could have a problem in, in the high speed circuit, but it idles, it idles and starts well. And the thing is that 
those carburetors on small engines like that, especially handheld equipment, do not have a float ball. They use the gas tank as a float ball. And a very common problem uh, would be that the fuel line that comes from the gas tank to the carburetor gets a crack in it. And it gives you enough fuel to idle the engine, start the engine, runs fine, but when you open the throttle and you put it on onto demand, that it starves for fuel. And even though you could have a problem in the high-speed circuit of that carburetor, I would say that you either have a vent problem with the cap, that the vent is plugged, and that's very easy to tell by just loosening the cap and trying to start the blower or whatever the small engine is and see if it runs better or that fuel line is cracked and it probably just has enough of a crack in it that it's losing the siphon effect and it could siphon enough to be able to feed this idle circuit and let it start and idle fine but once you put it under a load if it bogs like that then it's going lean and it's uh cannot pull enough fuel through that cracked fuel line so that's usually on those engines like that it's usually either a cracked fuel line or a plug fuel filter in there or uh but usually the line cracks it's a little crack or pinhole in it and or it's the gas cap and the third uh possibility is that there is an issue with the carburetor but since it ran so fine and when it started to act up and i may i may be 100 percent wrong and when it started to act up that it uh idled and started fine that i would go for a uh a cracked or a pinhole in the fuel line in the gas tank so it's not leaking fuel out or where you could smell it or it's coming on your hand that's in the gas tank and it's getting entrained air into the fuel system and it's not giving it enough fuel for it to be able to uh to high rpm and work on the load and another thing that's common with uh smaller engines if they have a flame arrestor in the muffler sometimes they get loaded up with carbon and they do not uh and they'll bog like that also but i would tend to think that uh that it's either a cracked fuel line and or a uh, partially plugged flame arrestor in the muffler and on that particular steel unit because i have it is that you could unthread the flame uh, flame arrestor and it's uh it's basically screwed into the muffler but i would look at that fuel line first i would say that it probably has a cracked fuel line but but really the first thing to do is try it with the gas cap off because that doesn't cost anything and the next thing i would look at that fuel line if it's seven years old and the flame arrestor but i would probably bet that it is on the uh that it's the fuel line so listen i want to thank you so so much for listening to my podcast i hope that you enjoyed learning about coolant and as always you know any questions or comments or if i could help you with anything please email me at hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and then I also uh, want to just tell you that, as always, you know, I'm pulling for you, the American farmer and the American rancher. And uh, this beloved nation of mine cannot be strong without strong, successful, and pros- profitable farms and ranches. So you have a blessed day, and hopefully you'll be able to tune in next time. And don't forget, you could listen to this podcast on the Fran Network at my website and also on Ag Daily. You take care and have a blessed week. Bye-bye.